with you, uh, similar to what Olivia shared, uh, to introduce my, my topic today. Uh, once upon a time, there was a man who lived with his wife, two small children, and elderly parents in a tiny hut. He tried to be patient and gracious, but the noise and crowded conditions were wearing him down. In desperation, he consulted the village wise man. Do you have a rooster? The wise elder asked. Yes, he replied. Keep the rooster in the hut with your family and come and see me next week. The next week, the man returned and told the wise elder that the living conditions were worse than ever. With the rooster crowing and making a mess of the hut. Do you have a cow? The wise elder asked. The man nodded fearfully. Take your cow into the hut as well and come see me in a week. Over the next several weeks, the man, on the advice of the wise elder, made room for a goat, two dogs, and his brother's children. Finally, he could take it no more, and in a fit of anger, kicked out all the animals and guests, leaving only his wife, children, and his parents. His home suddenly became spacious and quiet, and everyone lived happily ever after. Okay. Now, the Rolling Stones sang... In 1965, I can't get no satisfaction. And a lot of people today feel that way. They're discontented. Do you ever feel that way? Ever get impatient? Ever get frustrated with the people and situation that you find yourself in? Ever get dissatisfied with your circumstances? Feels like there's just not enough money. Not enough time in the day to do what I need to do. Your motto has become, if only. And so we change channels, change jobs, change spouses. So what's the secret of living a satisfied life? Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 4, 10 to 13. We're making our way through the book of Philippians, and this is where we're at today. This passage says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. He's being very gracious here to them. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. So what is contentment? Here's what it's not. It's not apathy. It's not laziness. It's not complacency. I really like this short definition. Independence. From circumstances. It's not based on my circumstances. I'm living above them. Have you ever heard or said, I'm doing pretty well under the circumstances. And I want to say, what are you doing under the circumstances? Don't be under them. You need to be over them. How? By learning the secret of contentment. Paul said he learned it. The Apostle Paul had to learn this. So we do too. 
We may not learn it right away. It may take time. It may take a lot of time. But we need to learn the secret of contentment. In verse 10, if you're following along the text, Paul thanks him for their gift. They used to support the apostle and his traveling ministry, but somewhere along the line they stopped giving to him. And that happens to missionaries all the time. Circumstances change in people's financials, and maybe they stop giving. And they used to give, and the missionary was counting on their support. That happened to Paul. But notice here, he's not bitter in verse 10 at all. He's very gracious. He's glad they started back up again, but he wants them to know that it would be okay with me even if you never gave again because God is taking care of me. He's providing for my needs. In fact, guys, I've learned to be content whether I have a lot or I have a little. It doesn't matter. So let's look at the lessons that Paul learned that we can learn and apply to our lives. The first is learn to avoid comparisons. Learn to avoid comparisons. You will never be content in this life if you're always comparing yourself to someone else. Because there's always someone richer, smarter, prettier, more talented, who has more opportunities and fewer problems than you do. The Corinthians were comparing apostles. And in one place it says, For when one says, I follow Paul, And another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? And another place, they they really lift up Peter. Apollos was a great speaker, apparently. And Peter had spent time with Jesus personally, so he was revered. But Paul, he was more or less third string. What others have or do has no bearing on your sense of contentment. Let me give you three misconceptions that I think we fall under when we seek to be happy. I must have what others have. That's a real big misconception. Somehow, if I don't have what they have, I'm missing out. Here's another one. I must be liked by everyone. And we spend our lives trying to win other people's approval. Just yesterday... I came across a quote by Chrissy Teigen, who apparently is a model and Instagram celebrity person. She says, I have worked so hard to give you guys, I guess the people out there in Twitter world that follow her, to give you guys joy and be beloved. She's working so hard to be beloved by everyone out there. And the feeling of letting you down is nearly unbearable. You know, working hard to be beloved is really a big task. You know, you are going to wear yourself out trying to do that. And it's quite different than working hard to be a better person. I I wish she was saying, man, I'm working so hard to be a better person. But I'm working so hard to make you guys happy and to give you joy. You know what? Some folks are never going to like you. And I know that's hard to believe because you're so doggone likable. But it's true. Not everyone liked Jesus. Here's a third misconception about happiness. Having more will make me happier. How much more will it take to make you happier? Well, just a little bit more. And our income rises and so do our worries. First Timothy 6 says, 
But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we could take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Everything you have in life is a gift from God to you. And you only have it temporarily, and you're not taking it with you. Paul says, I learned the secret of being contented. And that word contentment there, contented, the Stoics, they were a philosophical group of Paul's day. They used that word a lot. How they used it meant self-sufficient. The Stoics would say, I'm self-sufficient. I don't get too high or too low because I do that in my own strength. But, and Paul says here, I'm sufficient too, but not self-sufficient. I'm Christ-sufficient. I am in Christ, and that's where I find my sufficiency. He's going to talk more about that as we go further down in this text. So the first thing would be for contentment is stop comparing yourself to other people, uh, other ministries, other people in your job field or whatever. Secondly, learn to adjust to change. We have to learn to adjust to change. Nothing is uncertain in life but change. Things are changing all the time. You're getting older. Every day you're getting older. You're that much closer to death. That's certain, unless the Lord comes back first. Technology keeps changing. Our culture keeps changing, not always for the best. And yes, the church is changing too. More slowly than culture, but the church changes as well. So how do you handle change? Do you get mad and angry about it? Dig in your heels and refuse to budge? Or do you feel scared and not knowing what's going to happen next? You have to learn to adjust to change and find contentment in how things change. Because your circumstances change. Paul's changed. He mentions it here. He says, sometimes I'm in need. That word means low, humbled, abused. He has a list of his crummy circumstances in 2 Corinthians 11. Read that list sometimes. Paul went through some awful things. He says, I know what it's like to be in need and go through hard times. I know what it's like to have plenty. That word means abound or overflow. I know what it's like to be well fed. That is the word used for fattening up cattle. So it's like, man, my table's full. I've got a lot. But I know what it's like to be hungry, too. Either there's no food around or I voluntarily am choosing to fast. I know what it's like. In each and every situation, Paul says here, I've experienced the gamut and I'm content in any circumstance I face. He says, but I had to learn that secret. I didn't know it automatically. And as he's writing this letter to the Philippians, he's writing it from jail. Can you even picture yourself sitting in a jail? He's probably cold and lonely, not knowing How many days he has before Nero is going to execute him. Maybe he's got some pains and aches. Maybe he's sick. But he is not a victim. He doesn't complain here or in any of his letters about his circumstances. Because people don't determine his outlook. It doesn't matter what people did to him. They don't control his life. He's above his circumstances because he's in Christ. And when you get there, you have real freedom. I think there are three kinds of circumstances. The first is those I can control and do so. 
I control what I put on to wear each day or or what I'm going to eat or what I'm going to watch. I control that. Another kind of circumstance is the things that I can control and don't. That's usually due just to my own laziness. Or or perhaps I'm overeating or I'm eating unhealthily when I could make good choices, but I don't. The third kind of circumstances are those where I can't control them. What other people say, what other people do, the weather. I can't control these things. So I've just determined I'm going to do what's right and not worry about it. I'm just going to be content. Romans 12:18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I think related to this is having a sense of humor. I think it's really healthy to be able to laugh at ourselves and our circumstances sometimes. Find something humorous in your problem. I've read where pain management experts will have people that are in severe pain, chronic pain all the time. They have them watch funny movies. And that they've reported that that's really helped them. That it, maybe it takes their mind off of it for a while. Adjust to change. Something we all have to do in this world we're living in. Third thing, learn to draw on Christ's power. Not my own power, not my willpower, but Christ's power, which is available to me. Ephesians 1, 19 and 20 says, And his incomparably great power for us who believe, you and I today. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. That same power that brought Christ back to life, raised him from the dead, that same power is available for you today in your circumstance. Verse 13, look there. This verse is horribly pulled out of context and just used however we want it to be used. For whatever we want, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, no matter what it is. But the context is contentment in all circumstances. If your health is failing, if your kids are rebelling, if the stock market is crashing, you're content because you're living in Christ. You're drawing on his strength. If things are going great in your life, every circumstance is perfect. You're still contented because you're drawing on Christ's power. Don't trust in your own strength. Lean hard on Christ and not your own understanding. How do I know when I'm depending on myself? I'm tired all the time. I'm stressed out. I've used up all my resources and I don't know where else to turn. So turn to Christ. His resources are unlimited. Clarence Darrow, you may or may not have heard of him, but he was a famous lawyer in Chicago in the 1930s. He was an atheist. But he was also liberal enough to be a do-gooder. You know, he, he wanted to do good to his community so he could feel good about himself. So he reached out to a, a community in Chicago on the south side, a predominantly black community, and he started to do good works among them. And the, and the folks there were inviting him to church all the time, which he had no interest in, so he kept saying no. But eventually, he went to church with them. And after the church service, he said, no one sings like you. What do you have to sing about? 
And they said, Jesus, he's the answer. What do you need to get control over today? Is it your tongue? Is it your time? Your weight? A bad habit? Christ will give you strength. Lean on him. And that word strength is from the Greek word dunamis, our English word dynamite. It's explosive power that's available to you in Christ. Draw on that power. Draw close to him. Ask him for his strength each and every day. Here's a fourth thing. Learn to trust God to meet your needs. And this is found in verse 19. So we need to jump down from where we were, 10 to 13, to verse 19. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Now, this verse is very special to me personally. It was January of 1998. And I and Kathy, we went to Southern California to near where we uh, lived for three years to a Jack Hayford conference for pastors. And it was a great conference. And one of the sessions, Jack brought in a friend of his who had a ministry of giving words to people. He would talk with them, pray with them for a while, and the Lord would always give him a scripture for someone and sometimes an additional word or phrase, too. So I met with this guy. We had a few minutes together, and he, he's, we're talking to each other. He's, he's praying for me. We're praying together. He said, the Lord has given me Philippians 4.19 for you. My God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I thought, cool, that's a good verse. I like that verse. And then he said this phrase. The Lord has also given me this for you. You've got it made in the shade. And I thought, what? What does that even mean? He doesn't know, but right now there's really some tough things going on at the church I'm pastoring in Canton. In fact, by April, we had resigned. And we had no other church lined up. So we had no income for several months. But people reached out to us and and helped us. One friend in particular gave us a $1,000 check. We know she wasn't loaded, but she just felt like the Lord has urged me to do this for you guys. God met our every need. And then because of some connections I had with the friends in Canton, Ohio, I was pastoring in Canton, so I'd play basketball and, and the friends league up there. I knew some of the directors, uh, superintendents, and they said, hey, we've got a church in Marysville. You'd be a perfect fit for it. And so then the Lord provided Shiloh Chapel for us to minister to for 13 years. And then we bought a house in Marysville and we were walking around. And once we owned it for a while, I walked out in the backyard. I was standing there looking and I counted the trees in our backyard. We had 25 trees and our whole backyard was perfectly shaded. And I said that verse, that phrase came back what that guy said. I've got it made in the shade. If you buy an insurance policy, you, you read to find out what it covers And whatever it covers, you know you're good. You don't have to worry about it. I'm covered. The Bible, think of it like an insurance policy. There are some 7,000 promises in God's word for you. It covers a lot of issues. You have to know what's covered. So you've got to get into the word. 
and you read that promise and you stand on that promise and you say, God, I believe this word is for me. You've given this to me for this particular time. I trust you. Jesus said this in Matthew 6. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Amen. Jesus is saying, I'm going to meet all your needs, not necessarily all your wants, but all your needs. You can trust me. I think the reason that a lot of people, maybe most people, are unhappy, dissatisfied, discontented, unfulfilled, is because they haven't put Jesus Christ as the center of their life. They're looking for satisfaction in all the wrong places. So they go from job to job, relationship to relationship, thinking they will finally find it someday. And they don't. Money fades away. Looks fade. Only God endures. And he made you with a God-shaped vacuum inside of you that only he can fill and satisfy completely. Jesus said it like this in John 10.10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full or have it more abundantly. Jesus wants the most satisfying life possible for you. He loves you and accepts you. You've got to trust him. You can have it. Are you in relationship with him? Let's pray. Father, Paul said that he had to learn contentment, that satisfied life, not based on circumstances. And so do we, most of us, Father. I pray that you would help each one today, especially the one that's going through a hard time, really rough circumstances, and contentment is the last thing that they're feeling. But Lord, I pray that today, even, that they would look to you and just find rest in you. You would be that living water that they would drink deeply from. They would go to that well and drink of you and be satisfied. Lord, help us not to look to things to make us happy, but to be in you and be contented. And Lord, if there's a person out there that doesn't have a personal relationship with you, that that's where it all begins. And I just pray for them that whether it's right now, this moment, or later today, or soon, that they'll confess their sin and turn from it and turn to you and find you as the one that satisfies that deepest need that only you can fill. May they find you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Before we start the song, there's a couple things I want to share.